I'm going to do it because I love to do it, folks. But cue the intro. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, folks. Shout out to Cryer Media. This is episode number 220 of YWC Football Talk. Today was supposed to be myself with Big Rat. Big Rat had some plans come up. But you know what? It's all good because when stuff happens, stuff happens. You can't get mad at your friends, even your internet friends. That's the lesson of the day to all you kids out there. But to be honest with you guys, there's going to be an invasion angle. An invasion angle of sorts. We say that because we're wrestling fans. Did you know that? Did you know that the W and, uh, the w and YWC stands for wrestling? YouTube wrestling community. If you go down the rabbit hole of my YouTube channel, you'll find Days in the Life, all that kind of fun stuff, folks. Also testing out a brand new ring light today. And I'm going to say this right now because the Giants did some stuff. The New York Giants did some stuff. And we're no longer calling him Danny Dimes. We're calling him Danny Dollars because Daniel Jones signs a four-year, $160 contract. I don't know what the exact guarantees are off the top of my head. But Jared was going to come in, cut a crazy promo. He messaged me. He wanted to come on. He wanted the smoke and fire of it all. So, Jared, welcome back to YWC Football Talk. Just you and I tonight. No big rat. He had emergency plans come up. So we had to cancel. But now, how do you feel about the contract? Oh my gosh, I love it. Let me tell you, as somebody who is a huge proponent at throwing copious amounts of cash professional athletes, I think Jones made out like an absolute bandit getting paid, but the Giants did it the right way. The, the Giants did it the right way. They're, they, they really have a happy medium here because they are giving Jones a payday that's well-deserved because as we talked about on previous episodes here, the fact that you can start every game of the regular season and not be completely horrible makes you an anomaly among NFL quarterbacks. And that's why Jones was seeking so much money, even though he just set a career best with about 3,200 passing yards in a single season, which isn't much to brag about. However, career is moving in the right direction. He did rack up 700 plus rushing yards on top of that, cut down on the turnovers, and he did all this with pretty limited pieces on offense aside from Saquon Barkley. So the Giants are thinking, all right, we want to reward you for a really good season. However, recognizing that you're not really quite at that elite level yet, possibly heading in that direction, we're going to give you the opportunity to earn as much money as these other big name quarterbacks. But they're only committing to about half of it because the cap hit next season is going to be minimal. Cap hits only about 20 mil. Then it 19. doubles the following season. And then there's an escape route if it doesn't work out after that point. So it's a four-year deal, but they're really only on the hook for two. And the most important part, it gives them freedom to make other moves. So I think that the Giants really handled this in the best way possible. I think that this is exactly the kind of situation that you dream up for a guy like Daniel Jones. Guy who played well. He didn't like the world on fire. He did have a career year by his standards. So he's being rewarded, but not all the way rewarded. And, you know, I like the fact that we're doing this on Wednesday night when the contract was signed about 28 hours ago or so now, give or take. It's 8-11 on Wednesday, March 8th. But here's my thing with it. When I see – uh, I think you need to mute yourself so I get a bit of an echo. But anyway, the way I see this playing out, oh, 
Okay. Uh, it's still still there. It's still there, unfortunately. But the way I see this playing out is, look, you and what I'm saying about the reaction period, it gives you time to let it marinate and sizzle. It gives you that, hey, you find out what the guaranteed numbers are because everyone's going to see 140 million dollars or 100, 100 no. 160 everyone's gonna see the 160 and kind of go hey like what the hell are you doing that's too much money but then you look at it and you realize only the first two years are guaranteed this is what the cap hit's gonna be this is what this is so that's what i always started to do i started to do this two years ago with cam where you wait and then you judge the contract based off of what the guaranteed dollars are and that's what we're doing here my only thing is now with them and I, this is a serious question for you do you think this puts more pressure on Danny or do you think this puts more pressure on the organization to help build around him? I would say that the pressure is still on Daniel Jones just because of the nature of this contract not being fully guaranteed, knowing that it's essentially an extended prove-it deal. It's an extended franchise tag. It's really comes across like tagging the guy for two years straight. So I think that... This is, a, this is a contract for a quarterback that is developing but still hasn't fully – you know, I don't think that Jones has cemented himself as the franchise guy. I think that he's cemented himself as the guy for the immediate future. So I still think it's on him to prove that he's really here to stay as a potential top quarterback in the league. I don't think he's there yet. I think the Giants – he's not all the way there yet, but they are optimistic. This was an optimistic contract. This wasn't a, oh my gosh, we're in love. I've seen everything I need to see. He is Patrick Mahomes. I think that everybody in the Giants know that that's not the reality of the situation. I think that what you saw from Jones so far is encouraging progress. I think that the pressure is still on him to succeed. And I think that going into this past season, the Giants were thinking, you know, Daniel Jones, top 10 pick. We have seen some potential from him. We're really not confident in picking up this option based on some subpar regular seasons. However, we also think it might have been a product of prior systems. So we're going to try this new system and see how he responds. He responded very well. Now I think the mentality is, okay, this past season was encouraging and the new system was good. However, we didn't really have a lot of financial flexibility, so we weren't able to really surround Jones with that much talent. We did the best we could, and he kind of made lemonade out of lemons to a degree when you look at the receiving core that he had to work with. So I think now the mentality shifts to, okay, now let's try to build around him and really try to surround him with some talent to see if he can elevate even further so it's still, I think the onus is still on him. Um, I think that the Giants have protected themselves pretty well in this situation. So I think that, you know, everybody in the organization right now, I, I think that they have just the right approach when it comes to the team overall. I think they're, they're looking at the way, at the state of the Giants right now, thinking, okay, this is still a developing team. We're seeing some good signs. But this is not a time to rest on our laurels. This is still a time where we're still building. We saw some faster-than-expected progress. There's still a lot of work to be done. A big thing that I have with this team and and what I'm noticing as an overall standpoint is simple with this team. is just that, look, last year, Cam of the Gate, guns blazing, had like the courageous win against Tennessee, beat Carolina – 
the only knock I still look on and give this team is the fact that they only had one division win next year, and I think if they want to, you know, raise their stake and raise their voice instead of being, hey, we're here in third place, is challenge Dallas, challenge Philly, be there at three and three or four and two in division because last year getting swept by those two teams, I don't think will cut it for 2023. Um, it's one of those things too, just like, you know, steal the games that you're supposed to you win games. You're not supposed to win. I feel like any NFL team that's on that, like fringe middle pack is supposed to succeed in that way. Now, obviously the giants besides that point, got to the playoffs, beat the Vikings. And then the Eagle game happened. We all know what happened there, but for the most part, I like the perspective of, you know what the fan base knows. Hey, the quarterback is secure, unlike the other side of MetLife Stadium, which we'll get into in a little bit. But at the same time, too, look, the Giants, you have Jones locked up. You have Barkley locked up. And the one report today that I feel like is Giants Twitter was just going ablaze with Danny Dimes. Like, you know, or Danny Dollars, excuse me. Um, oh, he's lo- like, we got to get him locked up. And now he's locked up. And it's this, this, this. And P- I feel like for a lot of Giants fans, some of them, I just want to tell them, guys, go outside, get some fresh air. He's signed. Stop attacking other fan bases on Twitter because they disagree with it. It is what it is. But at the same time, too, the one thing that's not being talked about that I think is going to be huge for this team's success is Dexter Lawrence is up for an extension as well. And that's something that Giants, I feel like, hasn't been talked about a lot. But when he gets signed, that's going to be a number to see because the defensive tackle market is big. And Dexter Lawrence really had a coming out party this year as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. It wasn't just Daniel Jones. There were so many guys on this team that were previously labeled disappointments, busts, that really took a step forward under this regime, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball as well. So Dexter Lawrence 100% played like a first-round defensive tackle. He is due to get paid big bucks. He absolutely deserves it. And, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to how we can continue to build this defense out. I mean, finally, the Giants – are starting to kind of rediscover their identity a little bit on the defensive side of the football. It's exactly what Wink Martindale wants, strength in the front seven for a guy who loves to blitz so much. So I think you've got a lot of high-quality talent defensively up front. And this offseason, I look for the Giants. If they're going to make a splash in free agency, I'm looking for them to address the secondary, particularly – with guys like Jordan Poyer hitting the market and he got the Joe Shane connection. So I think that they're going to have to, they're definitely going to have to build out that side of their defense because with the way Wink likes to blitz so much, he kind of leaves his corners, his safeties on an Island back there. So having talent is key and they kind of got exposed at times. And whenever Adore Jackson or Xavier McKinney were out, they had no secondary depth whatsoever. And that's what led to such embarrassing losses as them getting lit up by the Lions, lit up by the Eagles, lit up by the Cowboys. It was all a product of having no talent in the secondary at all. So I think that that's probably where they're going to look to make a splash in free agency, especially considering that as much as they need wide receiver help, the free agent pool of wide receivers is not really that attractive. It's a lot of twos and threes. Yeah. And I feel like right now the Giants have that. The Giants have a lot of, you know, two and threes kind of guys. Like where it's like, hey, you're a good number two or you're a good number three, but you need a true number one. Now, I don't think Shane's going to go out. I know, like, I saw his press conference say a little snippets where he's like, oh, we're going to go, like, we want to go big game spending. We want to go big game hunting. 
I just don't think in a draft in a wide receiver free agency class that has a lot of guys that can either like the only solid number one is Jacoby Myers, but I just feel like they don't want to go out and throw twenty million at a receiver. I don't see a world where you know, um, yeah, what was I gonna say it? where uh, they trade for like a D Hop or they trade for like a Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton, someone of that nature. Honestly, just wait till the draft because this is the thing that I think GM started to learn about four or five years ago that for every single free agency receiver crop that you can overpay, you can get rookies on some fantastic deals. And look, the the wide receiver draft class this year, you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, you've got Zay Flowers, and those are just a couple of guys that I'm really high on. There's a couple others, but I'm like, oh, Jordan Addison as well. Um, there's a lot of these guys that, you know what, hey, they're going to be ballers in the NFL. There are these guys that are going to come in and make impacts. There's Quentin Johnston as well from TCU. Um, so with that, and where the Giants are picking in the 20s, you're going to be able to get a wide receiver, no problem. In 2020, we saw a lot of high-profile receivers. Like, hell, CeeDee Lamb went 18th. Justin Jefferson went 22nd overall. So it's just one of those things for the Giants where, hey, just because you don't get a receiver in free agency, I'm going to tell this to Giants fans right now, just because you don't get a, a receiver in free agency, don't freak out. There's going to be a lot in the draft. And also, too, last year, you did draft Wandale Robinson, who unfortunately tore his ACL. So I don't expect too, too much out of him for 2023. But you can get someone, even if you get a guy on day two again. Like, there's a lot of good wide receiver talent coming out. So for Giants fans out there, I think they're going to get a wide receiver. I just don't, like, don't. I wouldn't hold your breath on it being next week. Right. I, I agree that, you know, if Jacoby Myers is kind of the best option by default, that's not a guy that I could see – Joe Shane willing to overpay for. And likewise, I also don't see a DeAndre Hopkins trade coming to fruition just with his age and declining production. That feels more like a Dave Gettleman style move than a Joe Shane move. I don't think that that's very forward thinking. You would have to have the utmost confidence that he's going to be prime DeAndre Hopkins right now for the next year or two. And I don't think that they're at that point, even though Pick-wise, it's probably not going to cost you more than a second rounder. It really comes down to inheriting that salary. And after the Giants just got burned by Kenny Galladay, flat-out robbed, actually, I don't think that they're in the mood to take that kind of a risk on a guy on you know the wrong side of 30. So I think we can cross-hop off the list. That being said, I do agree that there is wide receiver talent for us in the draft. My only concern is picking at 25. I feel like we might miss out on some of the premium options. I mean, what the Giants really need more than anything is they need that prototypical number one wide receiver, a bigger bodied guy, as talented as a guy like Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison is. I don't think that they really fit the genetic makeup of what you want in a number one wide receiver. Quentin Johnston, on the other hand, is exactly what the Giants need. He's right up our alley. And honestly, given the moves that we just made, keeping Saquon Barkley, keeping Daniel Jones, I would really not be opposed to a trade-up scenario. I think if you really are in love with this kid and they just met with him and apparently it went really well, I think, you know, this is the type of situation where I think you – Make some sacrifices. They have a lot of extra picks this year, too. If they can maneuver some things around and trade up a few spots to get them, I would do it. Um, I would do it, too. And for anybody, like, uh, if anyone knows, like, if I look down any second for the thing, I am on call for work tonight. So I'm kind of, like, podcasting and working at the same time. Because, folks, podcasting and sports gambling, unfortunately, doesn't pay the bills in the moment, but one day. Um, with a move like Quentin Johnston, I feel like if he's still there at, like, the – like the low sing low double digits don't do it but if he falls below like 15 or 16 that's like right after like you know that new england I've, i'm blanking on who's picking 15 but if he falls to like the mid high teens 
that's where you pounce. It's one of those, you know, if you see someone, you go get them, unless you're really, really confident in a guy. And um, the, I'm not trying to shoot you down, but when it comes to things like combine meetings, I take them with a grain of salt because I feel like every prospect will meet with 20 plus teams. And it's always like the team that you don't, you know, they don't expect. Hey, Quinn Johnston would be a great target for the Giants. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, when people hear, like, this person met with, like, all these teams. Like, hell, Anthony Richardson met with the Patriots, but I don't expect Anthony Richardson to be a Patriot. It's just one of those things where I'm like, don't get your hopes up too high on that. But I, I like the optimism, but that's where I like it too, where it's, hey, if you want to trade up, go for it. Because two years ago, the Giants traded down from 11 to, I think, 20. Ended up with Kadarius Tony. Obviously, what happened there happened there. But at the same time, too, the Giants aren't a stranger to that. And I feel like a guy like Joe Shane is very committed to, hey, if he sees a guy he likes, he's going to go out and get him. Because he, he hit two home runs in the first round last year, so I would not expect anything less from him this year. The only thing I'll say about the Giants' first round pick, I just don't know if it'll be as hyply announced as it was last year by Sam. I'm blanking on his last name right now, but you know who I'm talking about. Sure, yeah. And I, you know, actually going back to that draft where we drafted Kadarius Tony, let's not forget... Even though at the time people were praising Dave Gettleman, we're like, wow, he got an extra first round pick out of it. What a genius. Let's not forget that the only reason that the Giants made that move is because the Eagles outsmarted them and stole Devonta Smith right out from under them. That's who they wanted. That was the pick. It's well documented. So going back to that, if this is a situation where the Giants feel really strongly about a Quentin Johnston, a Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I would also be real. Yeah. Speedster. I, I don't think. Yeah, I would like to think that they they wouldn't put themselves in a position to have that happen to them again, because especially if we hit the draft and the Giants have not yet acquired a premium number one wide receiver via free agency or a trade. We just ran down the line of the free agents. But if they're in a position where they're looking at drafting a potential number one wide receiver, just given Joe Shane's everything we've heard from him about, you know, wanting to be a little bit more aggressive this offseason going after premium players and having more financial flexibility. I don't think that he's going to let this team start the 2023 season without a serious upgrade at wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You, you, you can't go down that rabbit hole. You can't go, and especially in a year when you know, hey, this is the year that we made our move at quarterback. We need to lock up someone at receiver. You can't just go into the same core. For as good as Hodgins is, for as good as Robinson, we'll wait and see how he's off the ACL. Uh, Slayton, I think, is a free agent as well, but I'm sure I'm sure that's like an easy pony up thing where it's like a he'll come back as long unless someone gives him the world. But that's the thing; you have to be uh, have a new receiver in your room by the end of April. That's the one thing the Giants have to make sure they do because if you don't, and it's the same core as last year, everyone's going to be like, "Hey, this team hasn't really done much. They don't really intimidate us." You go out there and you get the well big bodied receiver or fast receiver. All of a sudden, it goes, "Hey, they've got talent." And plus, two, you have him under cost control for three years. Meanwhile, you've got Philly, who's going to have to pay Smith very, very soon. They've paid A.J. Brown already. Miles Sanders is doing a new contract. And then Dallas, Dalton Schultz and C.D. Lamb are going to be looking for money. C.D. Lamb probably sometime this offseason. And then Dalton Schultz is a free agent right now. So this is the perfect opportunity for the Giants to go out there and do that. But at the same time, too, I want to shift gears. And I know it's, I know it's only March. It's March 8th. Season's six mm -hmm. months away. Literally, I think, six months away. Um, if you had the page right now, do you think the Giants have to make the playoffs again and not only win a game, do you think they have to get to the divisional round for it to be a successful season? Or is it 
go to the conference championship game next year and be that team that like you know no not that no one expects but you oversee expectations and just go on this insane run and it's all of a sudden instead of the giants hey we're here it's we're here like you know it's like the face to heel turn yeah no i mean i would say that in order for the season to be considered a success i think you got to replicate last year go to the divisional round but I mean, I don't think anyone's going to really like, you know, thumb their nose at this team too much if that's where the season ends again. Obviously, you always want to keep moving forward. You want to make sure that each successive season is better than the last. And honestly, the Giants, they could be in a situation right now where they are just a couple pieces away in terms of wide receiver in the secondary um, as far as taking that next step goes. Because if you look at the state of the NFC right now, it's really getting past Dallas and Philly to yes. give yourself an opportunity at the Super Bowl. You look at the rest of this conference, NFC South, the whole division's in shambles. NFC North looks like the Packers are going to be losing Rodgers and the Vikings, we, we know where they top out. The West, yeah, the Niners are scary. Niners are very loaded talent-wise, but uncertain quarterback situation. Rest of that division, eh, competitive, beatable, in terms of Seattle, at least, the Rams and the Cardinals look terrible. So this is definitely a window for the Giants. They had a window this past season, but it was clear that they just weren't – they were not capable of competing fully with the Cowboys and the Eagles because they didn't have the offensive firepower. So you bring back Jones, you bring back Saquon, you retained your coaching staff. If you just upgrade the weaponry a little bit, you get to a point where all of a sudden – you have the confidence that they can create drives repeatedly, just like they did in that playoff game against the Vikings. If they can do that on a regular basis, then the Giants are capable of competing with anybody. So that's what they need to do to get to that next level. And yeah, to answer the original question, I think that it's still a successful season if they make the playoffs. But of course, they're eyeing, you know, next steps. Yeah, that's exactly what I put it. It's not, hey, we have to get to the Super Bowl for it to be a success. I think there's only really Philly you can put that on. In Dallas, they kind of put that on themselves. The national media is not doing it necessarily. Obviously, they want them there, and I say this always, and you're going to hate me for this, but the NFL is a better place than the Dallas Cowboys are a successful team just because it's it's eyeballs. That's what people, people watch the Dallas Cowboys. They're always the highest-rated games every year. The way I view the NFC North is, look, Chicago – they're stagnant for now. They're probably going to be the same thing as last as this year. Probably four or five wins somewhere in there. Detroit, like I want to, I like, but I don't want to, you know, go out here right now and be like, they're here. The Lions are here. No, I just think that the Lions need consistent success and not do one and six to nine and eight. It's a good story. Don't get me wrong, but I think you need to be playing. If you if they can play consistent football and go nine and eight or ten and seven, that's a win for them. They can't have this another Cinderella run. Meanwhile, the South, you're right. I look at though. There's something in me saying Carolina, but I think you and I both drank that Kool-Aid two years ago, and I'm kind of scared to do it again just because of the coaching uh, side. That's the thing. Uh, no. no, I'm not I'm not doing it again. Carolina's one of those teams where I'm like, hey, you can prove me wrong all I want. But two years ago, I remember they got off that 3-0 start. I was like, I look like a genius. They look great. And then they went 5-12. and um, The Saints, I think they'll win the division, but I don't see them going far in the playoffs. And then your division, it's the one because with the West – Look, Arizona's doing nothing this year. This is a write-off year for them. That's why they're uh, selling off all their assets, like Anderson getting released today, Hawkins probably getting traded, some other players not being brought back. It's a new regime. The Rams the Rams are the team that I'm kind of, kind of wondering about just because 
it's the Rams. If they're healthy, I think they can be good. But your division, meanwhile, that's where I was getting with the Giants. I think you guys have to... If you get swept by one, fine. I just don't think you guys can go 0-2 against both Philly and Dallas. That's my only thing that I will say of concern with the Giants this year. Is even if you go... Like, say, if you go 2-0 and against Washington, 1-1 and against Philly, and 0-2 against Dallas, or vice versa... That's okay. I just don't think you can have another season where you're under 500 in division. And I be and for anyone saying, "Oh, this, this, this," I, I said this. I'm saying the same thing about the Jets right now as well. No, yeah, 100. I mean, th- this was a very uh, rare situation for the Giants where they were, uh, you know, like you pointed out, they lost all four games against yep. Philly and Dallas, and make the playoffs as the third playoff team in that division. The likelihood of such a thing happening, even though on paper we can look and say that Giants, Cowboys, Eagles might be all among the top five teams in the conference, if not, you know, some people might say the top three teams, but you just cannot bet on something like that happening again, where you lose to your division rivals and then you have to play like perfect football against the rest of the league to make the playoffs a scenario like that, any team in the NFL will tell you that if you don't take care of your divisional games, it's generally tough sledding for you to put together a run to the playoffs. So that's the hump that they need to that they need to get past. Um, yeah, like no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that's just, that's just the one thing I say because it's like you know what, like hey, you're your biggest enemy. It's like what I say with the Jets, and I'll say this to him blue in the face, even though Danny will throw a bitch fit at me. That the Jets, the Jets, no matter who's a quarterback for them next year, you gotta beat the Patriots at least once. We saw what Miami, Miami's had done to them by Buffalo for years by Josh Allen. They beat Josh Allen this year, and look at what happened. It kind of like was that monkey off their back. I know people made fun of them, but it is what it is. Um, I want to shift gears to that one right now, just because of the whole Aaron Rodgers situation. Look, I don't know if this is me being a division rival and being salty about it, but. I just don't see a way where I'm like, I look at them, even with Aaron Rodgers. It's like, okay, are you better than Cincinnati? No. Are you better than Kansas City? Probably not. Are you better than the Chargers even? Maybe you're on par with them. Even though Buffalo had a really bad end of their season, can we sit here today honestly and say that an Aaron Rodgers-led Jet team is better than Josh Allen and the Bills? No. No, we cannot. Exactly. No. I mean, it's definitely it's a step forward for the Jets. But who's to say that the Jets would even be better than the Dolphins? I mean, let's just pump the brakes here and remember that Aaron Rodgers has only ever been to one Super Bowl. So, you know, as as much hype as he carries in with him, the guy is almost 40 years old. And yes, he did have a very weak supporting cast in Green Bay. The weakest supporting cast of his career, arguably. But... Those games were in prime time. So I watched a lot of Packers football last year. We all did. And we saw Aaron Rodgers flat out missing dudes constantly. It wasn't always because the guy ran the wrong route. It wasn't always because the guy dropped the ball. He is not in his prime anymore. So, yes, is it an upgrade over Zach Wilson? Of course it's an upgrade over Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco and whoever else. But it doesn't guarantee that the Jets are suddenly the AFC favorites. It's the, They're in a very tough division, a very, yeah. very tough division. And I would say I'll put them a little bit ahead of your Patriots, but that's about it. Yeah, just because with the Patriots, it's a wait and, and even see. even that, you can't guarantee, right? Yeah, because ever, like, it's like I say, too, because they have not been in the Patriots since 2015. That's eight years now. This is the kind of season where – 
And I say this too for the Jets, where I'm like, okay, it might bring you some meaning. Like, I don't know about meaningful. I don't know if this is going to leapfrog him to the Super Bowl. If it does, great. But at the same time, too, I look at it where I'm like, okay, if he's there for two years, it's like, okay, cool. But then you're back to purgatory. This is potentially what the Denver Broncos did with Peyton Manning. Hey, you may win, but after you win, we've seen the Denver Broncos now be mediocre for six straight years. I know the Jets have been mediocre for a very long time besides that and haven't won a Super Bowl in 19, since 1968. But here's the other thing, too. I just don't see how a move like this like is... This this literally is all becoming because Zach Wilson after that god-awful Patriots game. And yeah, I'm a Patriots fan saying that. It was a 10-3 football game, one on a punt return with 25 seconds left. Most electric 25 seconds of my life. Um, if Zach Wilson had simply gone in there and said, you know what, hey, I'm accountable. I had a shitty game. I had a bad game. None of this would be happening. This is the Jets freaking out. This is the Jets being the Jets. So I'm not too concerned about it. And the other thing I heard today too is besides Hackett, Rodgers doesn't know anyone else. He doesn't know Salah. He doesn't know Joe Douglas. He doesn't know Woody Johnson, like, in a personal connection. So unless they go there and, like, wow him over, or if they say, hey, we have a dark room in Florham Park that you can lock yourself in for three days, and the uh, asset is legal in Jersey, I don't know exactly how this can all be. And besides, too, even though Green Bay is a big market, you're under more pressure in New York than you are in any other market. There's a reason why they always say that in New York, you're under a magnifying glass for a reason. You know this as a fan of not only the Giants, but also you're a big Yankees fan. You know at the same time, too, that, look, when that team doesn't succeed, the pressure gets put on, unlike any other team. So I'm just thinking at this late in his career, does Rodgers want to deal with that? I mean, I think above, above anything else, I think that – he would look at the Jets and see a roster with a lot of talent yeah. in a lot of key areas. And he's thinking at this stage of his career, okay, if I'm not capable of going to the Super Bowl, then what am I even playing for? Yeah. And although playing in a tough division, it's not the easiest road. I do think that, you know, you, you kind of look at this roster and I think most folks would say the Jets are a quarterback away. Yeah. So I think that that above all might attract Rodgers over that away, much more so than a team like the Broncos that's kind of had a bit of a identity crisis over the years. And um, I mean, they, the Jets were in disarray this past season, but they also showed flashes of being really, really good compared to Denver, which was pretty much a total dumpster fire from beginning to end. And going from zero to hero might not be as attractive as, okay, here's a team that actually beat the Bills and had moments of looking pretty darn solid this year. You know, I got a real, I got a nice receiving core to work with. I got a lot of talent on defense. I could be the missing piece. I, I could see something happening there. And the Jets are also the team that would be willing to give up the necessary capital to make it happen. Yeah, that's the other thing too, because I look at all these other teams where I'm like, oh, they could go out and get them, but I'm just like, I don't see Vegas happening. I don't see like all these other teams happening. So it's just a matter of what does he want to do at the end of the day? Because like at the end of the at the end of the day, it's it's his job to lose, and not his job to lose, but it's where does he want to go in reality? And also, too, it's a matter of are the Jets not only do they have the draft capital, but are they willing to forego like pay him all the salary while your kids are still young? Because you still have a couple years of Sauce and Wilson under rookie control. Quentin Williams is due for a new deal now. I'm trying to think of who they... Uh, but that's the other thing, too. So if you have two years, but then you have Zach Wilson, it's like, okay, what do you do to Zach Wilson? You don't just kick him to the curb. So 
I'm just kind of weighing my options here where I'm like, it feels like if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a massive disappointment. That's where I'm getting at it with it. So it's like, don't put all your eggs in that one basket. Because like, remember with Tom Brady three years ago, no one thought the Buccaneers. No one was circling Tampa Bay. That was kind of like, they kind of came out of nowhere where everyone was like, Tampa? Like everyone kind of like said it in like a rumor, like, hey, it could happen. But you never saw the Buccaneers really going up and wowing Tom like the Jets are doing with Rodgers. So we'll wait and see what happens. But the next week or so, it's going to be an exciting time. And then going on to another point now, Lamar Jackson. Do you think this is just Baltimore being smart? Or do you think that someone's actually going to pick him up? Because the more teams I see go like saying, hey, we don't want interest in him, which, look, Diana Rossini ruined a, she had a poo-poo party when she said the whole stuff about like, oh, Atlanta's not going after him. When I'm like, speaking of a team literally with the draft capital, with the cap space to go get him, and they're not, I'm just like, I feel like eventually it's going to circle back home and he signs in Baltimore. It's just them playing... It's Baltimore playing hard to get, but the way I look at the... If he didn't get hurt, or if he had an agent, he would have been signed a long time ago. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I think if he didn't get hurt, he definitely would have been signed. I I think that Baltimore is protecting themselves a little bit because he is coming off of back-to-back seasons with injuries. That being said, his play has been off the charts for the most part, and every... Whenever he's been healthy, the Ravens have been good. Ravens have been a playoff team. That being said, other teams may be looking at him as a bit of a product of a system, which I I do stand by the belief that in the wrong hands, Lamar Jackson's career could have turned out very, very differently. You know, I, I got one of my best buds is a Ravens fan, and he's like, hey, you know, um, the, the Giants that year, like, you know, just like all these other teams, they could have had him. And I said, man, with, with our coaching staff at the time, we would have ruined him. He would yeah. not be doing these things at all. No way, no how. Ravens had to design a completely brand new offense that was specifically catered to his skill set. So I could see why some teams might be a little bit apprehensive because he's a he's an unconventional player and you gotta kind of you have to be ready for a guy like that. Because if you don't know if you don't know what made him tick in Baltimore and you just try to plug him in there like you know any quarterback, it's probably not gonna work out that well in a lot of cases. So I think that Baltimore is being smart about him. I think that they they want him as part of their future because the Ravens have they've just always been a you know a pretty proud franchise, a team that expects to go to the playoffs just about every year. If you look at Lamar's rookie season, that was a season where before they made that quarterback change, I mean that was Joe Flacco on his last legs as the Ravens starter, yeah. and even you know in half a season, his rookie season, the Ravens were able to string together a bunch of wins and make it to the playoffs. So. They know if they lose Lamar that it's going to set this team back. You look at the state of this roster. What else do they have to work with offensively if you take him out of the equation? You look at the second half of this season, a team that struggles to put up 13 or 16 points a game, that's not going to cut it. You're going to have a losing record, and you're probably going to set yourselves back for a couple of years. So I don't think that the Ravens are willing to make that sacrifice. And they're involving him in the search for the offensive coordinator. So I mean, all signs point to him staying. They did hire Todd Monken out of Georgia, so it'll be interesting to see how like that dynamic could work out. But here's the other thing, too, with him staying, because if they get rid of him, I don't like saying this because I don't want to see this individual succeed because of what they did off-field. But we all have to expect the Cleveland Browns are going to be a much better football team in 2023. Pittsburgh's going to be a team that, you know what, they're not going to be that good, but they're not going to be easy to play against. And then Cincinnati is Cincinnati. So besides the AFC East, 
the AFC North is probably one of the best divisions in football, too, where you have multiple teams that make a case for, hey, we've got the talent, we've got the skill set to play competitive football week in and week out. And honestly, as an NFL fan, for everyone out there going like, oh, yeah, but the team sucks. As long as your team's playing competitive football, it's exciting to watch on Sundays. Six months from now, however. But that's that's just another way that I look at it, too. So if I'm Baltimore, you have to look at it like this. You've got Mark Andrews. You've got Bateman. You can add pieces around him. You can do a whole fun and design, um, a fun and offensive design. So here's my thing. Even if he plays on the franchise tag this year, let him succeed under Todd Munkin, and then next offseason you can might maybe make the decision of, hey, do we keep him or do we let him go? Yeah. No, I would – yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, regarding the Cleveland Browns comment, uh, I wouldn't be so sure to uh, assume that they're going to be all that this coming season just because Cleveland – they've got this wonderful, wonderful habit of – constantly falling beneath expectations. And I know that Deshaun Watson didn't have as much time to prepare and practice with the team this season, but he, he kind of looked like a shell of his former self in 2022. So could he bounce back? Obviously the Browns are expecting him to, they're paying him a whole lot of money and there's definitely talent at the key skill positions there with Cooper and people's Jones and Njoku. But I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that the Browns are suddenly going to uh, completely turn the corner next year. I mean, this team could disappoint. They, they, they've never really had the, you know, the right glue holding them together and have a wonderful track record of disappointing people. So I still view them as number three and potentially number four team in that division. They, they've got more talent on paper, I think, than the Steelers do, but the Steelers – they just have the winning DNA. They've got the winning culture. You know, Mike Tomlin, longest tenured coach in the league. Um, they, you know, they've got a little, well, second longest. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, um, it's going to be a dogfight. That division's always ugly. And Cleveland, if I had to put, you know, if I had to say which team am I least confident in, probably be them. I'm not saying Cleveland's going to come in and, you know, light the world on fire. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they can be six, they can be like six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that, um, somewhere in that realm. It's, it's, I'm not saying they're going to be this team that's going to light the world on fire. No, 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 no. I'm just saying they're going to be more competitive in 2023. That's all I'm out here saying. It's one of those things where I'm like, Hey, they're going to be a team that they're not exactly an easy out. That's where I'm trying to get at. I'm not out here saying, no, you know, no, no. They were, they, they're, yeah. they're not. And yeah. And it's and like how Pittsburgh's going to be, you know, they're, they're, sure. they're probably not going to win a lot, but, or they're not going to be this like world beater, but you're not going to go in there being like easy W, you know, it's not going to be that. I think that Cleveland, you're, I think if you're looking ahead to gambling, they seem like a great team to bet they're over week in and week out. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, you, you look like, you know, all throughout last season, I mean, this is a team that was consistently putting up points and everything. And, and I mean, hey, they, they're expecting to win. You know, they, they shelled out a lot of money for Deshaun. And I think that they kind of knew that this past season was a bit of a write-off. And for all we know, the AFC North could be next year's NFC East. Or, well, AFC East is kind of uh, sliding into that role themselves. But, I mean, I think it just speaks to how loaded the AFC is, where you take – Team, you take divisions like the AFC East and the AFC North, 
And the bottom, whoever winds up bottom two in either of those divisions would wipe the floor with the with their NFC counterpart, essentially. Um, that's just like how um, I think how big the gap between the uh, you know rich and the poor when it comes to those two conferences is right now. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's like that's the point I just want to make where it's like rich and poor because the AFC. When I look at teams that could be competitive, I'm giving credit to I'm going to say two at least two teams in the AFC North. I'm going to say Jacksonville. I'm going to say you may see all four teams in the AFC East. And for everyone going, oh, he's a Patriots fan. If they were dysfunctional and went eight and nine, they can go ten and seven next year. They can go nine and eight. I don't see them getting worse. I see them getting better. And then with the AFC West, look, Kansas City's Kansas City. I think we learned this year. Don't doubt them. I also kick myself in the ass with them. Do you want to know why? Why? Because every year, because back in July and August, when everyone was saying Buffalo's going to the Super Bowl, I'm there like, you motherfuckers forget forget who plays quarterback for them. Exactly. You you forget. Exactly. We we did this with Tom Brady year in and year out, where everyone was like, oh, you know. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. Obviously, it was later in his career, but I was like, You're, we're going to snap our fingers, and Kansas City's going to be in the Super Bowl. What happened? Snapped our fingers. They were there, and they fucking won the thing. So I'm, so I'm going to tell the folks that right now. When a new team comes or if a new team makes a splash move, just remember who the top dog is. Now, obviously, I don't expect a repeat champ or anything like that, back-to-back, because I think back-to-back's very hard to do, and Kansas City is a target. But last year... Everyone has that. So that's why this year, if Buffalo makes all the right moves, as much as it pains me to say this, don't count them out. Don't count anyone out. Excuse me. But you know what? It's going to be very fun. And obviously, Jared, you know what the W stands for in YWC, right? You're very aware of that. Obviously, you're a member of it. Trademark? Mm, yep. Did you hear? I got to shift gears. Why, folks? Because I'm Jared and I are both responsible degenerate gamblers. And I have a thing for you. So apparently today from CNBC, Colorado and Michigan are looking to make legal betting of WWE high-profile matches. I am here to say right now that if you ever catch me making a video on this, I want the comment just to be, go call the go, call the hotline. Call the hotline. Like, I, I, I don't want to be wrestling. It's like, oh, my God, I need Becky Lynch to win. I need Roman Reigns to win. I need Seth Rollins to win. No, <laughs> if you ever, ever, ever see me doing that, Call, tell me to call the fucking hotline. Call like, the I, hotline. Yeah, it's like Griffin. <laughs> you have a problem. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Hey, I here come, here come the pay per view parlays. Pick the pick every match, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I know DraftKings does like a fun pool, and they do it for AEW as well. Which I'm like, you know what? Hey, that's fun. Throw like twenty bucks in, maybe pick the matches if you get the most right. That's fine. But don't be going like. Hey, because if you see odds, that's pretty much going to leak what happens. And they're all saying it's to prevent leaks of results. That never really gets out unless people know something is like blatantly obviously going to happen in wrestling. You work in the industry, so you know that better than anyone. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely true. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think it's fun that, that this has been integrated, you know, into uh, sports betting as well. Um, I mean, truthfully, in, in Vegas, you can bet on just about anything if you really wanted to. You could, you know, you can bet on what movie's going to win Best Picture at the Oscars, right? So um, I think it was only a matter of time before, uh, you know, pro wrestling betting expanded. Uh, people, please uh, play responsibly. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing shakes out. 
Yeah, that's the thing exactly. Where it's like, remember, I remember back in the day when I was growing up and watching it, and it was like, you got the please don't try this at home. Now it's please gamble on this responsibly. Oh, yep. man, that's it. Um, before we go, I have one question for you because it's that time of the year. Usually it's Super Bowl predictions, not anymore. I don't know how close you are to watching WWE because I know some people are pure AEW and like, or pure like AEW New Japan. I've been, I've been watching the product, been tuning into Raw um, a lot lately, actually. Same. I'm the same way. Why? Because it's always, I tell this to everyone. I'm like, every year at this time, they reel you in. This is when they get you. So with that mm-hmm. being said, is there a WrestleMania match you're really looking forward to at the moment? Yeah. No, I, I'm actually looking forward to the card uh, overall, like, you know, top to bottom for the most part. I think that this is one of the more stacked WrestleMania cards that we've had in a really long time. I mean, yeah. When you look at the uh, the long term planning that's gone into a lot of these matches, um, I think that it really it speaks to kind of a shift in WWE. I mean, it's it's one thing to put together great matches on paper, but it's another thing to have story behind half the card that you can tell this was thought out and mapped out well in advance. So that being said, I would say the the one match I'm probably looking forward to the most is Roman versus Cody. I mean, it's you know feels easy to say, but I just think that they've done such a really great job in making this feel like a big-time championship match. It really feels like two of the top guys in the industry colliding for the richest prize at the biggest show. So, I mean, I'm a man of simple taste when it comes to stuff like that. I think that every bit of TV with those guys so far, the way that you know each guy's been presenting themselves and carrying themselves is just making me really excited for that match. And then he got, you know, Sammy, what's likely to be Sammy and uh, KO versus the Usos. I expect that there's going to be some kind of stipulation added to that. That's obviously got the most story behind it. So those uh, those two programs are definitely uh, top of my list for Mania. And are you going this year or no? I am not going. Yeah, I'm saying I'm, I'm not going. I wanted to go, but I have a wedding six months later in uh, six months, excuse me, six weeks later in Florida. Yeah. So I'm just like I'm at the age two where I'm like I would like to do one. I would like to do both. Not at that age anymore. We're at that age, you know. Gotta spend the money responsibly, even no matter gambling or not. You gotta like spend it wisely and responsibly. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. Philly next year, though. No reason not to. For me, at least. I'm. I'm it's two hours down the road, so. I love the way you look at that, and that's 100% true because I know a lot of East Coasters, like, hell, I even think Danny's going to be going to that and stuff like that too. But yeah. you know what? Jared, it's fun as always. It was fun to get to do this. Unfortunately, no big rap. But you know what? We're going to get – there's going to be a lot of podcasts. I've been talking to people. There's a lot coming on. There's a lot going on. So you know what, folks? Buckle up because the draft's coming up. Free agency's coming up. we got a whole lot of content for you. Two episodes coming next week. It's going to be an exciting one. But anyway, folks, for Jared Silverclight, I'm Griff Bordegon. Have a good night, everybody. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.